0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for June 29th, 2018. In this week's episode, we'll tell you about some easy ways to properly verify your Mac hardware using some simple tools already on your computer. Plus, news about the latest CPU exploit named TL Bleed, what you need to know about the new WPA3 Wi-Fi specification, An iTunes payment security update leaves older operating systems out in the cold. And we answer a listener question about using a VPN. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. In recent months, we've talked
1: about some serious hardware issues that have affected processors that don't affect an operating system. And two of the names that have been used are Meltdown and Spectre. And as we discussed in an earlier episode, and there'll be a link in the show notes, these are the kind of issues that can only be mitigated by the hardware manufacturers. It turns out that there is another CPU flaw that is about to come out. And this is kind of interesting. It's not so much that we know what this is, but it's interesting that there were some clues that tipped people off to the fact that there is something that we're going to learn about soon. Does that make sense?
2: Can you make sense of this, John? <laughs> well, yeah. So TL Bleed is what this is called. And to break it down and make it as simple as possible, first of all, you're right. We don't really have all the details about this yet. It's going to be sort of revealed to the public at the Black Hat conference in August. But the idea behind this is because of a technology called hyperthreading, which basically means that your are Computers' processors pretend like you have twice as many as you really have. So in theory, certain tasks might be able to run faster because they can run in parallel. To, they can kind of run two at a time where normally they would only try to run one at a time. Well, this idea of behind hyperthreading has been around for a very long time. It's in you know processors going back decades. And just recently, the developers of a particular unix operating system said that uh, yeah we're not going to enable hyper threading on uh, by default anymore in our operating system and then just this past week it came to light that apparently that was because of this upcoming announcement about tl bleed and so that started to get the wheels turning in my head and i'm thinking hmm BSD, this OpenBSD operating system, this Unix operating system is very similar to the underpinnings of the Mac operating system. So there's a good chance that if this thing affects BSD OS's then it probably affects Mac OS as well. So does Mac OS use hyper-threading? I didn't know, so I found out, yeah, actually <laughs> Mac OS does use hyper-threading. Can it be turned off? Yes, but it's a little complicated to do that. You either have to have the Xcode developer tools installed and go through this process, and then you have to do that every time your computer boots up, or you have to trust some third-party utility to turn off hyperthreading for you. So there's not really very good options yet, but you know what? It's not something that people need to panic about at this point in time. We don't know the details. It's not an exploit that anybody's going to be you know, trying to use against you in the near future. Now, maybe after the talk in August, then people will know more details. And then maybe we need to be concerned about it at that point.
1: Okay, we'll keep our eyes on this. And when August comes around, we'll tell people if they need to worry about it. And I'm sure by then Apple will release a security update to uh, deal with this problem. But I I found it interesting the way that this issue was discovered. It was a sort of evidence of absence that made people think, why would someone turn off a feature that's meant to make computers run more quickly? In other security news, we're about to embark on a new, more secure Wi-Fi protocol. This is the Wi-Fi authentication protocol that we use to
2: connect a device to a router. Is that correct? Right. We've talked before about, uh, about some Wi-Fi security things, and uh, and WPA3 It was announced back in January, I believe, and then now it's finally starting to um, become a publicly available specification so router manufacturers can start building this into their Wi-Fi devices. Does this mean that I need to upgrade
1: my router or is this something... It is hardware only. So if I have an
2: existing router, I'll never be able to use this new WPA3? That's a really good question. Not all the details are, are necessarily known about that yet. I think it, it's probably possible that um, some existing routers could have WPA3 backported to work with them, but it's not something that um, is likely from the perspective of, you know, these manufacturers are going to want to upsell you on the latest thing that, oh, now, hey, with WPA3. So it's, it's more likely that we won't really see this coming to a lot of existing yeah. wireless technology. It's more something that you're going to see added on to newer hardware as it comes out.
1: Okay, one thing that I noted this week is that Apple is planning to prevent iTunes payment info changes on old versions of its operating systems. This is devices running iOS 4.3.5 or earlier, OS ten ten point eight point five. 10.8.5. This goes back years. And I find this is an interesting change. Presumably, there is something in the way these versions of iTunes and iOS and, and tvOS as well, something in the way that they work that means that changing this sort of information might pose a security risk. Do you, do you have any idea
2: why they might be doing this? I'm not exactly sure what specific flaws they might be trying to avoid people exploiting, but I mean, these are very old operating systems. I mean, you you know, you could come up with a list of literally hundreds of, of vulnerabilities that have been patched since those operating systems were released. And I think they're just being smart. And I mean, I think it's a great idea to turn off the ability to update your payment information on devices that are just ridiculously out of date. I mean, I, it's it's amazing to me that app stores even work on devices that old, so. It's true, and and it's very possible
1: that this is for the education market because schools will buy computers and not necessarily upgrade either the computers or the operating systems for quite some time. But from what I understand from the article, you could still run your old Apple TV on the old software and update your payment information on your new iPhone. This is the information that goes to the store. They're not blocking the use of these particular apps. They're just blocking the update of the information. And worst case, you could log on to a friend's computer, update your information, and then sign out. And that would be a way to do it
2: if you don't have newer hardware. Right. If you absolutely must use something that can only run iOS 4, which (laughs) that's going back pretty far. Hey,
1: this is there are people who keep phones for a long time. Don't laugh. We've talked about, you know, how useful it is to be able to repair things. My son actually told me today he just bought a new iPhone 8 Plus. His phone previous to that was a 4S, I think. So I don't think he could even go up to iOS 10. Right. There are people who are using old devices because I don't want to say that my son is a skinflint. Let's just say that he is careful how he spends his money. Yeah. I don't think he listens to this podcast, unfortunately. We have a question from a listener named PJ who wrote in a comment to my website where I post a mention of of each episode. And he wrote a question asking about using a VPN. He says, if I have Wi-Fi turned off on my iPhone and connected
2: by cellular only... Is there any value in using a VPN service? That's a great question. I think it really depends on what exactly you're trying to do with a VPN. As we've mentioned, there's a number of different use cases for for VPNs. If the idea is that you're trying to avoid your carrier spying on you, then yeah, there's value in a VPN service. If you're trying to, you know, pretend that your device is in another location, yeah, there's value in using a VPN service. It it really depends on what exactly you're trying to do. One thing he mentions in his question is that if he has Wi-Fi turned on
1: on the iPhone and the MacBook Pro, but the VPN on the Mac, some Apple OS features don't work, such as photos syncing to the iCloud photo library or notes syncing and handoff and all that. Wouldn't the VPN prevent all of these local features like handoff and continuity just because of the fact that they're encrypted and and Apple is expecting their own encryption and not another layer of encryption?
2: Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think what's important to understand here is that essentially when you are using a VPN, you can think of it like being on a completely different network. So even though you might be connected to the same wireless access point, for example, your devices really may not be able to talk to each other in the same way that they could if they were not connected to a VPN. So some of those local protocols and things might not work. It depends um, on the particular protocol and what exactly it is that you're trying to use between your devices. But if one is connected to a VPN and the other is not, um, then certain services like that will break. So there's
1: one other issue that came up about 10 days ago. You use Quick Look sometimes on your Mac, right? Oh,
2: sure. Yeah, that's the technology where if there's an icon on my desktop, I can, say, hit the space bar and have it put up a a preview or something like that. Exactly. I use this all the
1: time when I'm looking at photos that I've imported from a camera, when I'm looking at some PDFs that I've saved, because instead of opening it in preview, you just get a quick icon and it's easy to close again with the space bar. It turns out that there is a bit of an issue with encrypted data being stored in a cache when you use quick look. Can you explain this briefly? This is a little bit complicated. Can you make this simple so
2: that even I can understand it? All right. I I don't think this is something that most people need to be worried about, but there are some specific scenarios where you might have cause for concern. Okay. First of all, the only time when this is really going to be something that you might want to be concerned about is if you have external hard drives that you plug into your Mac, and if those drives are fully encrypted, so if, if you have a uh, uh, if you're using something like VeraCrypt or one of these type of programs that does full disk encryption for an external drive, it's those drives that are potentially affected by this issue. Basically, the idea behind this is that if you Quick Look preview something that's on your external drive that's encrypted. Uh, now uh, the drive is encrypted but your quick-click preview is actually stored on your Mac's internal drive. And so the potential problem here is that, for example, let's say you get some malware on your machine and it wants to find out some information about you that maybe you don't want to reveal. And you figure, oh, well, I've got my, my external hard drive you know, in a closet somewhere, nobody can see any of that data. It's not hooked up to any computer. Well, the problem is that if somebody gets into your computer they know where to dig to find those Quick Look previews. They're actually stored on your internal hard drive on your computer. And so somebody could potentially see all the compromising information in a smaller little preview format. But, um, but you know, they could still find out a lot of information about you that maybe you didn't want divulged.
1: So these are just thumbnails. This isn't the full preview that you get
2: when you press the spacebar. That's right. But but if you can imagine, uh, you know, let's say you've got a high resolution image, right? You know, a preview of that image, you still can tell what the contents of that image file are.
1: Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some ways to make sure that your max hardware is working properly.
0: Intego is dedicated to better online safety practices, and the summertime offers a unique opportunity for parents and kids to become more cyber aware and to be better educated about potentially harmful online content and activities. As part of our commitment to protecting children and teens online, Intego is offering a 50% discount with the purchase of our award-winning Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego Mac Premium Bundle X9 is our most feature-rich suite of internet security and backup software for your Mac. It contains everything you need to keep your Mac protected, secure, private, and clean, and includes antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware, two-way firewall network protection, Mac Cleaner to optimize your Mac, personal backup software for quick and easy recovery in case of a crash, parental controls with website and application blocking. You can get Intego's award-winning Mac Premium Bundle X9 for 50% off the suggested retail price by using this promo code at checkout. Premium 50. All one word, no spaces. Premium 50. Have a really safe summer by protecting your computers and your family from Internet dangers. Save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 with the promo code PREMIUM50 at checkout. Visit Intego.com today.
1: So Josh, you certainly have problems
2: with your Macs from time to time, don't you? Hardware problems, software problems? Yeah, I do. Oh boy, my my mid-2011 iMac is on its last leg. Uh, so yeah, I, I can say I've had my, my share of Mac hardware problems.
1: OK, we're going to discuss an article on the Mac security blog entitled, How to Verify Your Mac's Hardware is Working Properly, and it covers a number of areas that you might want to test just to make sure everything's working smoothly. This isn't something you need to worry about every month. You might want to do this every six months, every year, or just when you have a problem. This covers general Apple diagnostics, your hard drives, whether it's a spinning hard drive or an SSD, your RAM, your CPU, your GPU, your graphics processor, sensors, and other physical elements. So the first thing to know is that your Mac has a secret diagnostics app and that if you know the secret key to press when you start up your Mac, you can launch it. If you press the D key and hold it, just after you press the power button on your Mac, you'll get a gray screen that comes up with the Apple Diagnostics app.
2: That's right. And this is something that's actually been built into Mac hardware for the past several years. So even if you've got uh, you know a device that's a few years old, you'll still be able to to do this. It's not just the most recent model that's able to to do this.
1: I can remember this going back to the earliest iMacs. I don't know how much earlier it goes than that. <laughs> and for a long time, the interface looked really, really, really old. And, and you'll see the screenshots in this article that they've definitely been updated in the past couple of years, but it's only recently that they updated them. So this is actually software that's on a chip in the Mac. It's, it's technically firmware. It's not an app that you have to download or copy or load or anything. And it probably takes up very little space and it runs some basic tests but it's pretty valuable because it can tell you if a number of things are wrong. It can tell you if there's something wrong with your power supply. It can tell you if there's something wrong with your memory. It can tell you a whole lot of information about the different elements in your Mac. And if it does find any issues, it'll give you some codes that you can give to Apple support so they can help you fix them.
2: Yeah, and, you know, memory problems are actually something that's pretty common you know especially if you've done a third party memory upgrade maybe you've got an iMac that you know has some some RAM slots and you bought some used memory on eBay to try to save some money and plugged plugged it in and you know now my computer seems like it's crashing more often than it used to this is a great way to do that test to find out whether your memory might actually have some problems yes and and this is something that
1: I've learned about years ago with that sort of issue. In in particular, if you buy third-party RAM to put into a a Mac and you find that there's something wrong, an Apple Care technician will always ask you if there's third-party RAM and ask you to remove it. And that's the best way to test it. Now, it it could be that there's something wrong with the RAM itself, that it's just bad. It could be that it's not exactly the same spec as the rest of the RAM. It has to be a certain speed and, and all that. And sometimes non-spec RAM will work in a computer, but then when the computer's working too hard, it won't work anymore. So it is very important to check the RAM if you do have problems. So these hardware tests are extremely useful because they can check a number of things that you actually can't check. But you can check your drives, your hard drives, your SSDs. And there are two utilities that you can use. One is called Smart Utility and the other is called Drive DX. And there are actually quite a few other apps that check the drive. SMART is an interesting thing to know about. Can you tell us what that is?
2: Yeah, uh, S-M-A-R-T. SMART stands for Self-Monitoring Analysis and Reporting Technology. So basically what this is, is it's a basic diagnostic uh, to determine whether your drive seems to be working within its manufacturer's intended parameters, I guess is the the best way to put it. So if something is a little bit off, then smart should be able to detect that and give you a warning that um, your drive might be starting to have some problems.
1: Yeah, it's going to tell you that your drive might fail soon. If your drive's failed, it's too late. But what it does is it detects a certain number of problems that are sort of signs that the drive isn't working very well. So interestingly, I went to check the smart status of the SSD on my iMac, which is an iMac that I bought recently, and it says smart status not supported. It turns out that if your SSD is connected via PCI, then it is supported, which is the case in yours, but in mine it's connected via PCI Express and it's not supported. You can't get smart status of external drives so you can only really use this with a slightly older mac any mac with a hard drive will work but if your mac has an ssd in it it has to be something that's more than a couple of years old for it to work so the next thing that you might want to check is the cpu the central processing unit which is the processor when you talk about a mac is four gigahertz that's we're talking about the cpu speed Now, it's not so much that you want to test the CPU to make sure it's working perfectly. It's not that simple, even though there are some apps that can do that. But one thing you can do is run a benchmarking app like Geekbench. Make sure that you have as little running on your Mac as possible. If you have any utilities or apps that boot when you log into your Mac, quit them, turn them off, and run Geekbench. And what you can do is compare that to the speed of other Macs, of the exact same model of other Macs, to see if yours is just as fast or faster. If you find that yours is much slower than other Macs, then you need to look a little more closely. For instance, start up in safe mode or manually quit processes and activity monitor, processes that might be getting in the way and using up CPU. Another thing you might wanna do is a stress test. Now, I've been doing this for years. Every time I'm worried that I have a Mac that might be overheating, which is something I've had several times in the past. There's a terminal command called yes. That's a great terminal command, isn't it? And if you type that a certain way, yes, greater than slash dev slash null, N-U-L-L space ampersand, this process forces your CPU to go at 100% utilization. Now, I have an eight core iMac, so I would have to open eight tabs in terminal and run this command each time because the command only runs for a single core. But what's useful for this is that if you check the sensors on your Mac to see what the temperatures are, and we'll talk about that in a second, you'll find if something's overheating when you do this.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's. I. I, I don't know that. I would want to distress test my Mac because I feel like. Uh, you know, the fans kick into high gear a lot on on the MacBook Pro that I use. But sure, yeah, <laughs> if you want to see if your device can, or your Mac can handle it, yeah, sure, why not? Run yes and have at it.
1: Well, there's another way to do this. It's to take a video and convert it with Handbrake. Handbrake is really well designed to use every single ounce of every core in your Mac CPU. And if you want to get your fans running, just run Handbrake with you know a video that's long enough to say five, 10, 20 minutes that it takes to convert it, and it will peak your fans. And you'll be able to find out how loud your Mac can get when the fans are running, too. That's a fact. So the next thing is your GPU, your graphical processor unit, the graphics card. And this is what, on your computer, interprets data and converts it into pixels and colors and shapes. And this is how I can see your smiling face over there on the other side of the planet. Because my GPU is converting you... It's like that transporter on Star Trek, it's converting you into a a simulacrum of of yourself on my iMac. Now- Wow, that's deep. Well, it is, yeah, GPUs are deep. If you have problems with your GPU, two things could happen. One, your computer could crash or freeze or, or shut down. But the other is that things just might go slowly. Now, for what I do, this isn't a problem. Web surfing, talking to you on Skype, it's not an issue. But if you're playing games and you need a high frame rate, You don't want your GPU to slow down. So there are a number of tools you can use to test this. One of them is Geekbench that I mentioned earlier, Cinebench, Luxmark. Each one of them tests things differently. A suggestion when you run these, don't sit and look at your screen because it flashes all sorts of things and different shapes and colors and bright lights and all that. It's not very interesting to watch.
2: Well, especially if you have a slower GPU. <laughs> well, it takes a lot longer with a slower GPU. Yeah. Yeah. If if you've got a, a really high end Mac with uh with a graphics card, like you know, sometimes you might even have an external graphics card if you're a real super graphics geek, and uh, those will have some really nice performance um, on, on these uh, on these GPU stress tests. So I mentioned
1: sensors earlier. The Mac has a plethora of sensors, dozens of sensors. I'm looking at the sensors on my iMac now. I'm using an app called iStat Menus, which is a great utility. It puts some information on your menu bar. I use it generally to show my CPU usage, my RAM usage, my network throughput. There's also a sensor module, and there's about 25 or 30 different sensors. There's temperature sensors for the CPU, for the hard drive, for the... Let's see, the timing controller, the GPU. So right now, and these are temperatures in centigrade, my CPU cores aren't working too hard. They're only at 74 degrees. Um, My GPU is about 64, so there's not much going on. But if I were to rip that video in handbrake or run a yes command, these temperatures would go up. An older iMac I had, the temperatures approached 100 centigrade, which is the temperature at which water boils, And this turned out to be something a little bit worrisome, and Apple eventually replaced probably the whole logic board when they did that. So the other sensors you see are power sensors. The number of watts it's being used, my Mac is currently using 80 watts, the power supply is using 12 volts, the CPU core a volt and change, um, the GPU core less than a volt, etc., I see the fan speed, and my fan is really cool here. It's at 1,200 RPM, and that's the base fan speed of an iMac. That's the lowest it'll go, and you essentially can't hear it at that speed. The other thing that I see here is ambient light, and this is something that's detected in order to use the auto-brightness display on the Mac. So all of these sensors can provide
2: information that can help troubleshoot if you have a problem. Your Mac seems to be running a lot hotter than mine, which is interesting, but my fans are spinning a lot faster. So I've got um, 48 degrees is what my CPU heatsink says. And then for my fan speed, I'm getting about 2,500 RPM average between the left and right fans in my MacBook Pro. Wow. Okay. Well, I think
1: the fans tend to go more quickly on a laptop. I don't have a CPU heatsink. I have a CPU proximity which might be close to it. Again, you'll find different sensors on different devices. For example, I, for some reason, my SSD temperature is not showing up. There's just a dash, but the hard drive temperature is showing up at 42 degrees. Now I have an SSD and not a hard drive. So that could just be a confusion in the the way that the sensor is being understood. My LCD flying lead is 45 degrees. Do you have any idea what that is? Your LCD flying lead, huh? Yeah. I, I think that's one of those things like the toasters that fly. Remember the old toaster screensaver? <laughs> the saver? flying toaster
2: screensaver. Yeah, yeah. I
1: hope, yeah, I remember that. That was the thing. We're old. So the last thing you could probably check on your Mac is that all of your physical ports work. What this means is you've got a number of USB or Firewire or Thunderbolt ports. You've got audio ports. Plug something into each one of them and make sure it works. You may not use all your USB ports. You may only use one or two of them if you're on a desktop Mac. You may only have one if you have a a laptop, but plug something into everything and just make sure they work because... If something goes wrong, that can lead to something going wrong elsewhere. So if there's a short in one of your USB ports, that could eventually short out the rest of your computer.
2: Absolutely true. In fact, I've seen things like that happen, not with Macs necessarily, but um, you know, I've definitely seen broken USB ports in PCs cause some really significant hardware problems. Don't ever try to plug something into a port that you can tell with a visual inspection is damaged.
1: Okay. So- since it's summer and you probably all have free time out there in radio land you could take a look at this article link in the show notes and check out your mac and make sure that everything's running smoothly next week we're going to cover part two of this article which is talking about how to check your software so totally different software is a lot easier you don't have to worry as much about getting it repaired you can either delete it or reinstall it but well, we'll take a close look at that next week until then josh stay secure and keep that mac cool stay cool kirk
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.